You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back for the weekly Talk and Footy episode, post-Origin 1. What a game of footy. I got to do the preview of the game last week on Talk and Footy, which is a lot of fun with Luke Garrity, but now we've actually got the game done and dusted with a Queensland victory, 16-10, very well-deserved. So this week, we've got Matty Person on board to actually dissect the game with me. So Perso, welcome back to the NRL All-Stars Podcast, mate. Good to have you post-Origin 1. Yeah, good. Always good to be here, Barnsley. You know, I apologise if I sound a bit huskier than normal. I got a little bit of a case of the old man flu, but um, that was a cracking game of footy last night. Yeah, it was. I mean, look, I mean, let's let's get stuck straight into it. And I mean, before we do, for the new listeners out there, this is a talking footy episode, so we won't do any super coach. But if you like just a super coach, that'll hit Wednesdays, uh, and that'll just be all about super coach TLT and strategies and stuff, which we'll hit up next week. So, but this one, you know, the first. Obviously, the first topic is going to be about origin, and that's going to be a big topic and, and half of this podcast at least. So let's dissect that. As far as just general thoughts per se, you know, for me, I thought it was a really good game of footy. Um, and unfortunately, I, I think whenever somebody, whenever one of the fan groups in origin loses, whether it's the Blues or the Maroons, you kind of lose a little bit of it, and especially when it's the Blues game one in Sydney, you know, you kind of, if you just sort of looked at all the comments and stuff, you wouldn't realise that it was a 16-10 game and how close it was, you know, and, and what a good quality game it was. You know, it's, it's always a little bit of a shame to me with Origin that the gloss of how good the game actually was kind of gets worn off afterwards because everyone that lost actually is, is annoyed, as I was. But the game itself was, it was really high quality. Like, you know, we've had some Origin games over the last few years that haven't been to that standard. And I thought it was really up there as far as the standard and the quality of the game. And 16-10... It says how tight it was. So for me, it was it was a cracking game of football. I really enjoyed watching it, even though you know I'm obviously in New South Wales and the Blues lost. It was a good game. Oh, it's an absolute ball terror. If you ask, like any game that keeps my wife interested for eighty minutes, so sitting on the edge of the seat and actually <laughs> cheering and stuff, it shows how good of a game it was. Um, oh, it was a cracking game. It's it, the better side in the end won basically, but it was a really it was a really tight game. It was played at a ferocious pace in that first half. That the speed of that game was amazing. It, it was really, really fast game of footy, and then yeah, we just it ebbed and flowed. And Queensland got on top, and then they were getting a bit fatigued towards the end. And you thought New South Wales were coming home. And but they, they, credit to Queensland, they they were the better team. They they um, they played well and got the victory. But it was an outstanding game of footy. Like it, it was really entertaining game of footy. Yeah, and like I, Queensland fully deserved the victory. I, I did think that either team could have pretty much won it. Like it was one of those type of games where I think it was, I think the score really did reflect it, right? It was only one converted try within it. And I think it didn't have to differ too much to what actually happened for it to be flipped in New South Wales would have won. Not taking away from Queensland, fully deserved the victory. And for me, like I actually thought that the first oh, 15, 20 minutes, I probably 20 minutes, I thought New South Wales were the better team. Yep. And then the last 20 minutes, I thought New South Wales were probably the better team too. Yeah, 100%. Close that, that middle part. Oh, that, the middle third of that game just absolutely destroyed New South Wales because Queensland were well on top. And it's it's pretty funny. Like, the game goes so fast and you, you kind of lose the concept of time. So it's really good to look at the stats afterwards and, and just to, to really look at what actually occurred during the game. And, like, Queensland actually scored all of their points within a 19-minute period. 
You know, their first try came in the 35th minute and their last try came in the 54th. You know, that's that's pretty insane, but it really was how the game went. Like Queensland, again, I'm not taking away from Queensland saying that the Blues, you know, probably won the first 20 and, and probably were better the last 20, but that middle period is where the game was won and, and Queensland were better than the Blues in that period, much more than what the Blues were to start the game when I thought they were on top. And they scored all their points in, you know, 19-minute period, and they managed to throw in three tries in a game that was 16-10. So that shows probably how dominant that middle of the game was for Queensland. 100%. They had all the ball in that period, even though it was a 51-49 to 49 split to New South Wales' overall position for the game in that period. Queensland dominated and they capitalised when they did. And that was sort of the difference in the end. That was probably the other thing too, right? Like I, I think there's, there was limited opportunities for both teams as there is in a high-quality origin match, uh, which was good to see. But Queensland took advantage of their opportunities and, and that was in that period. They had the opportunities and they just took advantage of each of them, whereas New South Wales probably didn't do that quite as well for me. Yeah, exactly. That Cherry Evans trial was a prime example there with that. The, they had all the momentum at the time. and uh, you said it's, <laughs> Sims and Tedesco both rushed to the left off that scrum where it was looking like it was, they had good shape out the back. Queenslanders, it looked like it was going to be good, a block play. So they rushed to the left and then no one else broke out of the scrum. Jerry Evans has seen that, steps off his right and just goes through the biggest hole you've ever seen in your life. And that was that was off the back of momentum to Queensland. They had all the ball at that time. Yeah, and like we talk about the quality of the game, that was probably the only disappointing part for me. Like out of the whole game, I thought all of it was quality. But that one, that was one play was try, very soft. Yeah, that wasn't an origin try. Not that you know, Jerry Evans had to make some good decisions and stuff, and maybe in some other circumstances, a different. But that was just put it back at Queensland being having all that possession, as you said, through that period. Yeah, and like when you actually look at the numbers, and a lot of people don't look at the numbers after the game, and I like I encourage everybody if it's a if it's a really high quality game or it's like an origin or a final or something, look at the numbers because it it tells you such a such a good story, um, and it's always part of the story too. Like the Blues, it, it's crazy how tight it was. Like the possession was forty nine fifty one percent in favour of the Blues. Uh, the Queensland team completed 86% of their possessions. The Blues still completed 80%. That's a really high-quality performance from both teams. Three tries to two. And in the attack, though, like the run metres for New South Wales oh. were 2011 compared to Queensland's 1,863. So you would almost think that the New South Wales forwards actually went really well, whereas it was a bit masked in that area because New South Wales dominated those metres. But it was... The back three just killed it for New South Wales and really helped out, whereas the Queensland forwards were probably better than ours. Uh, but you don't really see that in the run metres. Uh, offloads were nine apiece. Line breaks were five apiece. Uh, kicks were 26 to 25. You know, absolutely everything was split. Like, Queensland actually missed nine more tackles than what New South Wales did. Penalties were four to three. Uh, it was just... It's amazing how much the numbers are almost identical. Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> You look at our, all of our back five are outstanding aside from Stags, which we probably might get to later. But but our wingers, the fullbacks, they all ran over 200 metres. So, um, even the forwards, you know, like there's, our middle forwards that played bigger minutes played well. That's probably what Queensland might have had a little bit more there. But the, it's, the stats are even. It's just those crucial moments in the game that Queensland made better of their opportunities. When, well, Bunster was a big part of that. And then that Cherry Evans off that scrum. Aside from that, that was I think New South Wales just lacked that little bit of strike and key moments. Like when it got back to tighten the back end of the game there, and 
that's what I was saying to the wife. I was trying to explain to her, oh, we're just going a bit too one off, we're a bit too fatigued, and just trying to explain what that was. I said, we need to play a bit more direct. And then we, as I was saying, that Cook did a scoot out of dummy half, made a break up to Desco. He looked through, and all I could think of was like, if we had Turbo there, he would have been sitting on his right shoulder. He was caught under the pass, but we didn't, and he put the kick through, and we mm. didn't get the ball. That was just those sort of little things like that was the difference. Both teams were very even. Yeah, it was a really even contest. And look, we're going to get to the players shortly because I want to talk about um, the good and the not-so-good players from, from both sides and potential changes and things like that. But before we do, let's let's dissect this a little bit on who you know where we think the game was won or lost specifically. Uh, for me, the first thing I probably want to touch on, which is a little bit controversial, is the officiating. Um, now, I don't want uh, Queensland fans to think that I'm making excuses, even though I'm sitting in Sydney. I'm not at all. It's... Uh, the first thing about the officiating was the ruck and Brad Fittler talked about this afterwards. And, you know, often in the media and in, and in sport and especially footy, things can get misconstrued. You know, it just you see a flash up on a media post or, or you know, someone writes an article and you just see the headline that Fittler talks about the lack of officiating or something. When if you actually look at what he said, it was complimentary to Queensland. And he was saying what he side did wrong because the officiating in the ruck, it was very slow and, Ashley Klein didn't want to blow any penalties at all. And that was very evident, like, from both sides. Like, I, I saw New South Wales and Queensland swinging high tackles in that first 20, going, geez, they're really not going to call anything in this, you know. And, and that's just how it was. So when you listen to what Brad Fittler actually said in full, he was saying, look, you know, Queensland were lying in the ruck and holding on to us and everything, but good luck to them because we should have been doing that and we didn't. And that was our fault, you know, because we didn't play that origin style that had obviously been set down by Ashley Klein. So, it, you know, Pridler wasn't, you know, having a go at Queensland and neither am I. It was very evident with that. It was, that's how it was going to be officiated and Queensland, managed to control the ruck by just doing that. Now, if Queensland started to get penalised for it, it might have been a different story. Um, if Ashley Klein, you know, started penalising one side and not the other, then people might have something to whinge about. But when I think everybody, both teams, could have just done the same thing, it's really, it's not something that you can blame on the refereeing and that's not what I'm doing and not what I think Fittler was doing. But certainly for me, one of the big things was that ruck. And one of them was defensively per so with the time that, the Queensland defenders had and how well they worked the ruck defensively. And then secondly, that led into slower play of the balls for us as well, which ultimately does lead into the forwards maybe struggling a little bit more as well. So what was your take on, on the ruck and just generally the way that it was called? Because, I mean, New South Wales didn't even get a penalty until there was 17 yeah. minutes left in the game, but there was only seven penalties total. And I don't even think we had very many six against. No, the six against were pretty minimal all game on both sides, but... Um... Yeah, Queensland controlled the ruck perfectly in, in typical sort of Melbourne Storm style, which is no surprise considering sides for Storm <laughs> players and Storm coaches, but they were better at it. And um, to quite what you're saying about Fittler, oh, Fittler's a smart operator. He's um, not whinging about it. He's putting it in the minds for the second game in his press conference. That's the reason he's come out and said it, because New South Wales obviously like to play a more fluent game. They don't want to slow ruck. Their style of play the last couple of seasons has been all off the back of quicker play of the balls and going direct around side forwards in the middle when you're controlling the ruck and slowing it down. It suits Queensland's game to a T. So, of course, Fittler's going to come straight out and that's, he, he didn't bag the rest, as he said. Like We should have been better to adapt to it and realise that that's what was happening. Mm. It's a smart move from Fittler to come out. He's put that straight away in the minds the next game. So it'll be interesting to see how it's yeah, how it's going to be um, adjudicated in the next game, whether they'll 
they'll um, blow a few more penalties for slower play in the ruck, but it was very slow. And that that's Queensland benefited from it and they were better with it. Yeah, definitely favours them. Were you surprised about it? Because I was a little bit, because being the, the game one was in Sydney, I thought that New South Wales, you know, especially you could hear the crowd, the the, the atmosphere oh, sounded yeah. electric. Like <laughs> I thought that they, they would have actually got the rub of the green with that officiating the ruck and stuff, but it actually didn't really play much of a part. Next game's in Perth, but I was quite surprised uh, that it didn't really work that way. Because normally, like, in game three in Brisbane, I think if the same thing's happening generally and might change this series, you know, it goes the other way in Queensland, kind of get the rub of the green on that ruck stuff, but it, it just didn't happen. So I was a little bit surprised that they let it go as much as what they did, but it did mean that the game kept going at least, which is always enjoyable. Yeah, it was definitely the old home ground penalties didn't come into play last night, did it? <laughs> That's uh, the clear blowing up the locks all the time. And actually, Klein stood. Obviously, there was a, a plan there from the referees that this is how they were going to adjudicate the game, and he stuck with it, I suppose. But which is exactly why Fitless came straight out in the press conference and made that his main issue because that was fairly beneficial to the, the flow of the game and it wasn't to uh, New South Wales game plan. So that's sort of smart coaching on Fitless' behalf. It didn't really cost us a game. We just didn't adapt to it, but it was a key factor. Yeah, and I'm going to hit the nail on the head too with some of the talk on um, on Ashley Klein's officiating. Like I didn't, I didn't love it. I, I thought there was a couple of things that they missed, but that's going to happen. I don't think that it... Um, you know, it's anything to whinge about or blame or loss on. You know, I've seen a little bit of that today and it's disappointing. Queensland fully deserved the win and they definitely earned it, especially in that middle third, like I said, when they just started rattling off those points. But uh, there was there was some a couple of bad misses on both sides, really. Like there was a, a, a time early on when I think New South Wales were dominating where it looked like the New South Wales had actually knocked on um, about 20 out off a kick and, and we ended up, New South Wales ended up getting that back. Uh, so that was one. The Ponga forward pass, I thought was, uh, de- well, the Ponga pass for the for the try for Cobo to put the kick through, I, I thought was forward. Uh, and at the same time, if that wasn't forward, I thought that that uh, you'd get maybe the rubber of the green on the, the Tedesco try off the Tupo one. But, you know, it just doesn't go that way sometimes. And, and those calls went both ways as well. Queensland capitalised though, right? Like we didn't capitalise on getting the possession off yeah. that potential New South Wales knock-on that it looked like. Um, but Queensland scored a try off that potential forward pass and capitalised immediately. And likewise, you know, I thought Crichton was... I, I have to say, I thought Crichton was really hard done by on that tackle because they scored a try on the other end of that. Like, that was oh, that was a really bad call. That's the, that's the one I was going to bring up. <laughs> Fair digging. Like they, they let Yo get knocked out in the first tackle of the game and no concussion protocols come into the play and then he didn't even lift him above the horizontal like that was just a good tackle uh, for that to get penalized and then place the report and he's got the seven percent that's ridiculous afterwards as well isn't it like, oh, i feel for Crichton. he's on debut and he's done a really good hard tackle he's lifted he's lifted him up but he hasn't tipped him like you said he didn't go above the horizontal and he, and he put him straight on his back yeah no, let him flatten his back like, uh, that was that was a bad call and that ended up costing them but i mean there was other calls that like i said new south wales got away with i, I didn't think that the scrum funeral was a big deal um you know people get held in the scrum all the time would it have been oh there's nothing in that that was just that was bad defense from new south wales yeah it was 100 percent. the inside like you said they had to rush across because of the shape that queensland had and the inside just didn't work hard enough um and I still think that probably Dale Cherryon still had a gap there, even if it was an immediate release. But you've been in plenty of scrums, per so you know there's no such thing as immediate release as you're holding on for a little bit afterwards. Ah. And 
if it wasn't for Channel 9's bonehead commentary, no one would be talking about it. So you watch, I watched it again today after. This is a, the thing I've got a massive problem with, with Foxtel not being able to show the game live. So whereas if you don't have a choice, so we're stuck with Channel 9. Channel, uh, Foxtel called the game the same time. It's going to start live. So they replayed and you watch it. Anyway, you watch it. And I watch it. There wasn't a mention of it. Yeah, it happens in every scrum every week. There was there's no way Paul o was ever getting it. He was barely held. It's a scrum. It happens every single time. He was never getting out of there. I don't know why they they, they made a thing of it. To I, I tell you where it happens though. Like I think that the NRL is starting to reap what they sow here, and that they they build a rod for their own back because this is a sort of call that you'll see called during the NRL and wrongly. But you, I've seen at yeah. least two of these. I remember. Um, in the last couple of months that have been pulled up because someone's been held back in a scrum and it, and it hasn't been too much different. So these bad calls that we talk about on this podcast, but it's certainly every week in rugby league and how the officiating has gone in the NRL this year, you know, that, that bleeds into this because people have expectations and players have expectations. You saw all the players throw their hands up in the air and talk about it and say, hey, hey, hey you know, we got help. And maybe the way it's been called, that, that would have been called in the NRL this week in an NRL game. It would have been a poor call. But we've seen that this year. So I kind of think that, you know, some of that is, is on the NRL with how they've been calling stuff too. But obviously, Origin is going to be different. I, I want to move off the officials, though, because I don't think it had a, a big bearing on the match anyway. Um, Queensland forwards, they ended up having more impact. I thought that was a big part of where it was won. I think that um, Payne Huss... Off the back of two debutants. <laughs> oh, yeah, with deb- two debutants in there as well. and both Cotter them- and Carrigan were outstanding, I thought. They were both really good. Like, uh, I don't know, you tell me, but for me, I thought that Payne Haas was actually the best front row on the field, and I don't think he got enough props for how well he did. He was phenomenal. Like, I thought he was New South Wales' best forward, and I thought he was the best front row between both teams. I thought he was outstanding. But I oh, had a massive game. When you go outside of him, Perso, um, Regan Campbell-Gillard did a couple of good origin things where I went, that was a big run, that was a big run, but really only played like 36 minutes. It, it was an average outing. Junior Paulo, I thought, was poor, um, and that's where we kind of fell down. I, I just think that the big fellas didn't have enough um, compared to that Queensland pack, and then our, our back rowers really um, didn't have a great game. And some of that was, I, I guess... Oh, you know, it's unlucky. You know, you don't see Cam Murray have too many um, average games. Aside from his try, he was pretty average. Um, Yo wasn't that impactful. Um, Liam Martin wasn't that impactful at times. You know, same with Sims started off all right, and then he, he faltered. Uh, our forward pack just wasn't quite up to standard, whereas Queensland's, they had, like you said, the two debutants of Carrigan and also Lindsay Collins, I would say, outplayed um, our, Collins our two props. Collins had a massive game. Yeah, our other two props, like Campbell Gillard and um, Paulo, both got outplayed by two bench guys that came on for Queensland that were bench middles. Well, it, it's, that's one thing I questioned about that is um, fitless rotation with our forwards. Mm. Although Campbell Gillard was good while he was on the field, but he only played 36 minutes. Paulo only played 30 minutes, and it just didn't really look like he did much at all. Murray coming off the bench, so he swapped around with Martin. Martin made 50 tackles, but neither of our edge forwards really got into the game. Um, I, I think Yo might have been affected by that head knock in the first tackle, so he only played 53 minutes, which he normally probably would have played 80. But you look at Queensland back row, all three played 80 minutes. Cotter on debut was absolutely outstanding yep. playing in the middle. 
playing 80 minutes. But even Kate will like Kate will. He had 16 runs for 145 metres. I don't think he's had 16 runs for the Broncos all season. <laughs> yeah, Capewell was yeah. underrated but, with how well he played. I, th- I thought Kofusi was probably the only one that wasn't fantastic. Yeah, and he, was, he tackled his ass off and got 40 tackles. Like I think their forwards were better than ours. Mm. And the thing I was most impressed about, especially with Cotter, like, I haven't seen um, Cleary nullified like that for a long time. He's, he was rushed every kick. They were on him, and his kicking game was off. And that was a that was was a massive contributor to the game. They were all over him. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Like, and this is going to be really controversial, right? Because I'm going to unload a little bit here on one of New South Wales' favourite sons, and certainly Ivan Cleary's favourite son. But Nathan Cleary, um, it's I, I look. He was poor. He was he was poor, and it's not being said enough. Like, not enough is being put on him. And I lamented the other day that, you know, in the past, New South Wales have had a history of just smashing the number seven whenever there's a loss, you know, and everybody knows that Mitchell Pearce got hammered for many years. We're at a point now where, you know, if the, you know, that was, that was a Mitchell Pearce game from Cleary when, even when Mitchell Pearce, it was one of Mitchell Pearce's, you know, not better games. Um, and it was it mimicked it very, very closely. You know, Mitchell Pierce, if you remember, you know, four years in origin when his head was being called was, you know, he, his kicks aren't going well. He doesn't have a good enough kicking game. He's not making any plays in attack. He's not making anything happen. He's not taking charge of the team. And these are all things that you could just transplant straight into Nathan Cleary's performance last night, but he's not getting anywhere near as much of that vitriol or anything. Now I'm not suggesting at all, that Nathan Cleary should be, you know, dropped or or anything crazy like that. Um, and I certainly think that he'll bounce back. And to his credit, he took full responsibility for it. If anyone didn't listen to his interview today, you should. But in saying that, he still uh, had a, a poor game and he's not probably being thrown that much negativity about it. If Cleary just has a good game, New South Wales could probably win. But yeah. he, he was poor. And for someone who... The big difference between him and someone like Pierce, right, is that Pierce was never rated as like the best player in the NRL. Cleary, quite rightly, is rated as potentially the best player in the NRL, if not, you know, a top three player in the NRL. And he's coming off a grand final win last year. And he, those sort of players, like, it's actually on you, you know? Like, I feel like Tedesco held up his end of the bargain. He tried enough and he actually had a line break. He had a try, disallowed. He, he, he did a lot in our attack, whereas Nathan Cleary didn't. And not only that, he didn't change things. And when you compare it to the Queensland halves per se, like our halves got outplayed. And a lot of that's on Nathan Cleary because if you look at someone like Munster, you know, I actually thought... I thought Luai was good. Yeah, well, Luai outplayed Cleary. Like, Luai's copying it today. And I, yeah. I thought Luai outplayed Cleary. But, you know, I, I want your take on those halves, honestly, because I, I feel like that I'm um, one of the few voices really saying that Cleary was a big part of why we of why New South Wales lost. But I, I I will finish on saying that if you compare it to Munster, I actually don't think that Munster had this outstanding 80-minute, 10 out of 10 performance that people are saying. No. I thought he was outstanding and man of the match, but he was actually quiet in the first half. And if you have a look at the ways that Munster affected that game to win it, Key moment. he you know had, had a couple of those steals. He had a couple of big hits. One of his steals led to a try. You know, that's a different way to attack when things aren't happening for you or you can't find a play you need to find other plays to make. And if you're one of the best players in the NRL, you need to have that in your kit bag and be able to come up with it or at least try. And if you make an error, so be it. 
Yeah, uh, 100%. Munster just found a way to get himself into the game at key moments. So that line break he made, <laughs> he just, that was insane in the first. He just had nowhere to, like, he was running across sideways, crab, crab, step, step, bang, straight through. He just found a way to get himself in the game. Clearly, he never found a way to get himself in the game. And he just looked rattled from the start. Like, Queensland's defence were all over him. They were rushing. And obviously, that was a key. He's the, the, the New South Wales best player. And obviously, that was a key point with um, Queensland's game plan. And they dominated him. And he looked rattled. Right from his first kicks, like even his attacking kicks, it was very unclear. Like they were a bit wobbly, a bit shorter than when they should have been. Uh, it just never really looked like his kicking game was on, let alone his long kicking game, which his long kicking game is the best in the NRL. And that, that's what sort of brings you home in those tight games. He, he just could never get himself into the game, clearly. And I think that was on the back of uh, Queensland's forwards. They just absolutely dominated him. I haven't seen him being nullified like that for a few years. So he'll learn from that. But he wasn't good last night, clearly. It was nowhere near his best performance. He, he was fairly ordinary, let's be honest. Yeah, and I think the lack of adjustment, really. Like, uh, I mean, some people will make a degree of excuses for him and, and they'll be partially valid, in my opinion, where it'll be like, you know, Queensland did a good job. They're a quality side. They, he didn't have much time or space. That's all warranted and it's part of it and that'll have to be looked at by the New South Wales team. But, you know, if you're one of the top players in the league, you should be able to come up with plays to nullify that. All the special players get treated like that in big games and, and, and the special ones come through. Especially when Cook and Tedesco did look to go direct and play out of dummy half and try and carve up the guts. He wasn't. He should have been right back there with them. And there was a couple of times there where you'd see Cook go through and Tedesco go through and there was no one else there. Yep, 100%. There's a couple, couple of little breaks that could have been. Uh, you know, there's only little things. Like he, he wasn't terrible. But it was just from your yeah, marquee halfback, who's a future immortal, if you listen to things. He, um, it wasn't his best game. That's all I'll say. It wasn't his best game. Well, he'll bounce back. He'll probably get me out of the match in the next the next game in Perth, that's the top player he is. Yeah, and look, he's he's still a very young man. He's still got a very long representative career ahead of him, so he's going to bounce back and he'll have good games. That's an absolute gun, but yeah, you got to. And to his credit, he did he did put his hand up after the game as well. So yeah, yeah. And, and like New South Wales will need him though. If he does that again in game two, we won't win. Um, and that's that's just a fact. He he has to be there. He's one of the linchpins of that side. And he was outplayed by the Queensland halves, and that should be motivating for Nathan Cleary because DCE and Munster both outplayed him. And that's something that I think will motivate him, and I think that he will bounce back. But in the back of my head, just finishing off on Nathan Cleary, you know, he has got a lot of experience now, and he has been in a lot of origin games. It's starting to get to the point a little bit, which Luke Garrity actually mentioned on the preview last week, where it's actually his time to come through and make good. He he has to have a dominating game. He has to actually have a game that he dominates and he's the best player. And he hasn't oh, yeah. actually done that in origin yet. If you have a look at it, his rep career, he's had some good games and certainly the, the end of the series last year had a good game, but he's never had a game where it's like, you know, he's the best player in the league and, and he, he led the team to a victory in a blue Jersey. He hasn't done that yet. And I really am waiting to see. That was his stage last night, wasn't it? Well, Sydney packed house. What it was 85,000 people. Like yeah. it's, if ever you needed your gun halfback to, to get you home in a tight game, that was mm. it. I mean, look, every great player 
even the immortals all have failed games where they've learned from them and gone on and had better ones. And I'm sure that Nathan Cleary will, will do that too. But to me, that was a big part of where New South Wales lost it and Queensland won it in those halves. And Munster was absolutely outstanding. And DC had a few errors, but he was very good at uh, taking some opportunities as well. Um, and obviously the Queensland forwards. But look, let's have a look at the players specifically. You know, the good we've, we've talked about. For me, per se, my list was um, Munster, Grant, and then for the Fords, it was Carrigan and Collins off the bench. I, I thought that they were all outstanding. And I thought Cotter was outstanding playing 80 um, in his first debut game. Queensland's bench was a big factor as to why they won that game. Carrigan and Collins were massive off the bench and Grant. But the, the Queensland's bench, they were outstanding. Cotter, oh, I love Cotter. He must be one of the fittest blacks in the NRL. He's just a dead set mongrel, isn't he? Like, he just doesn't stop. Oh, he just, he's, to be able to go in and play 80 minutes in your first Origin game, like, I don't think enough people appreciate, you know, how hard that is to, to play 80 minutes in the middle like he did. And, you know. He's not a big, big forward either. He's playing like, like he's, he's playing in the middle. He's probably the smallest middle forward in the NRL. Yeah, he's 93 kilos. He's, he's actually the same size as Nathan Cleary. Yeah, and he's making 50 tackles a game. He had 14 runs, 134 metres, and he was just – but his line speed in defence and his uh, kick chase and his line – he was leading every time the New South Wales had kick, he was leading the defence and putting the pressure on. He had an outstanding game. Yeah, and like you said, Carrigan and Collins off the bench. And we didn't talk enough about Grant, so I do want to mention him a little bit more. When I said that I thought New South Wales were on top for the first 20 minutes – um, I certainly felt like, you know, obviously Whiten scored first and I certainly felt like our attack was going to open Queensland up more. And then I thought that the turning point in Queensland's attack was seriously when Grant came on. He just started running and looking for options and it really scattered yeah. the New South Wales defence and it opened up the opportunities oh, the for those stars for sure. So he, he was outstanding, Grant, as you'd expect him to be. But it just shows again what a quality nine he is and what a difference uh, he actually made, and how, and I think it's understated how much he helped the Queensland halves dominate the New South Wales halves. Oh, 100%. It just he's so quick out of WRF, and that's the like, it's the master stroke putting Benny Hunt on first and then having Grant come off the bench and just his tempo out of dummy half is second to none. It just it, the momentum that he creates is outstanding, and that, that's where they got on top. Yeah, so those were the best best performers for me and for you for um, the Queensland side. They're, they're a side that won, so I'm not going to be down on them too much, and it's hard to because I thought most of the Queensland side played well, but to be fair to both teams, we'll look at the good and the bad. The, the players that weren't quite as good, um, Gagai had a couple of really bad defensive lapses, and now he's now got a, a litany of uh, resume where playing at centre just doesn't seem to be as good for him defensively as what it is on the wing, especially in representative games. So, I mean, that stood out for me. And the other two, very quickly, were in the forward pack. I was worried that Nanai wouldn't have much impact. I know that he got hurt, but, I mean, even before he got hurt and afterwards, you know, I just he had two runs in 37 minutes or something. He just didn't have much impact at all. So that's a spot that might be up for grabs. And Papa Lee, um, I was really surprised about. Yeah, that was strange. Yeah, like when I... When I started watching the kickoff, I was scared of Papa Lee because he's like that alpha forward of theirs that had, has the experience. And he's been in mint form over the last month too. Oh, he's, he's scored a couple of tries two weeks in a row for the Raiders. He's He's been barnstorming and he looks fit. And this is like his prime time where he normally dominates. I thought that he did per se. The first 10 minutes, I thought 
Papali is on here. Like he's done a couple of really big runs, a, a few really. Yeah, big I wonder hits. if he copped the knock that we didn't see or something because he, he didn't play a lot of minutes, and he went off for a long time and then like came back in the last sixteen. So I wonder if there was he copped a knock somewhere that we didn't pick up because it was very strange that he played limited minutes. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I thought he looked quite gassed. Um, but maybe that was an injury. It's, it's hard to tell, but he, he didn't play many minutes and after the first 10 didn't really have much impact. But uh, Gagai Papali, and, and I splitting hairs a little bit. Four, <laughs> four runs for 34 metres in an origin game for Papali. It's <laughs> it's worth questioning what happened there. Yeah. He played, the, how many minutes did he play? It was only... I think it was only 25. It was a 20, yeah, it was like really low, so... That's why I wonder whether he, he caught the knock that we didn't notice because it, it was yeah, it was very surprising. Well, I mean, those were a few small blights on Queensland. I do think that the Gagai one is the biggest because New South Wales will target him and him and DCE on that side. We really should New South Wales really should have targeted them a lot more than what they did even. And that's probably that goes back to what I was saying about um, Cleary as well. Even if he doesn't have much time or whatever, he should have been directing play to the fact that Xavier Coates was gone, so Queensland were missing a winger, and they, and they had, and you know yeah, we had 100%. both our wingers were smashing it; they were going really well, and Tupo had have a really good advantage. There. He should have been directing those plays, um, and at the same time too, he should have been saying, you know, Gagai and Daly Cherry Evans is the pokey that's always going to be on the feature all day. You know, you have to keep have to keep putting the money in that one, and he just wasn't directing enough play over there, so. Uh, it, it, I think there was some definite um, deficiencies, although not many in that Queensland side. But New South Wales, we've already smashed the halves, so I don't want to talk about it again. You know, that was um, not great. But let's talk about the guys that were good for the New South Wales team. You know, I thought Payne Haas, I mentioned earlier. Um, per so, yeah, Haas is massive. He, his numbers even, like I think that it went a bit under the radar, but even his numbers don't tell the story. Like he had half a dozen runs where he sort of got hit. He made 10 metres already, got hit, and then just were carrying guys and throwing them off. You know, he's he was absolutely outstanding for me in the middle. But there was a couple of those tough runs where it was just all their backs and then Haas, it was like, it was uh, Tupoto and then, the only forward that made the hit in that run was Haas, and he was still carrying blokes for 15 metres. He, he was outstanding. Yeah, I think all, all of our back three had like over 200 metres that they ran for. Daniel oh, Tubo right. had 26 runs, and Brian Tyro had 25. And, you know, it's, I, I, I have to say, I can't believe the calls already today. You know, I'll get the fox in there for Tupo. Like, Tubo had 26 runs. Um, he know. had two opportunities for New South Wales out of only a handful that we had. He basically and had that. He try. was the first off the rock. They were the toughest runs. He was the one first hitting it up. It was him, then Tor, in every set, yeah. pretty much. That's what uh, Tupo, 226 runs, 211 metres. Toa, 25 runs, 207 metres. I think Teddy was like, it was them, and then Teddy, and then Haas, and then no one else. They, they were all so outstanding. I mean, it's Teddy had a line break. Um, he had a try disallowed. Tupo created that try that was disallowed. Like those two actually created some opportunities. So I was really um, disappointed as a New South Wales fan that the people like Tupo and Tedesco were actually called out today because to me they were uh, the best players aside from the last guy I'm going to mention, which you know, the <laughs> person I actually spoke before the podcast and I was saying how. Um, sometimes as New South Wales fans or even Queensland fans when Queensland are a bad trot in origin, 
people are critical of someone or they're critical of a selection. And then you never hear about it again. If you win or that person goes great. Jack White was, oh, he was, everyone was real critical about Jack White. But I mean, he had two line breaks, 20 runs and offload. He scored a try. He went up and bashed a few guys. He was he was the best player in a blue jersey. And if you did a Dally M one, two, and three last night, the only New South Wales player that might have got the one point might have been Jack White. And I thought he was great, Perso. Yeah, he had a blinder. Right from the outset, he had a blinder. He was in the game from the start. Like you said, he rushed up, he hit blokes, he was looked likely every time he he had the ball. He had 20 runs for 184 metres. Like he was taking the tough carries, scored the try, two line breaks. Uh, yeah, he was he had an outstanding game one. He silenced any critic that was sort of saying, "Oh, we can't think of it sooner." I don't know where that comes from, but yeah, because he missed five tackles in a game when he played center when him and Gutho were in a, a game two years ago. <laughs> White was always going to do a job, and yeah, he had a blinder. He's been in red hot form all season too. So yeah, he's had a much better season the last year, and I made that point with Luke last week when we we're chatting about the the preview for Origin that White actually had a poor season last year. Um, but this season he's been much better, and you know I think that's no coincidence that he's found himself back in the New South Wales team. But uh, you, people talk about Latrell being missing. If you put up, you know, what you thought Latrell could do if he had a really great game, it's pretty similar to what Whiten did. So I don't think we actually missed Latrell on that side because Whiten basically did his best Latrell impression, right? I think we just missed Latrell or Turbo with that little bit of strike off the back of half breaks. That's where we missed those sort of guys. So you, you, we lost nothing with Whiten. The, the other low lights for New South Wales, um, and you know, apologies to Queensland fans, but you know, it's a it's a compliment that we didn't get to talk about too many low lights for Queensland because it just wasn't very many, you know. Um, but we talked about the halves already. Uh, we talked about how for Queensland, Gagai made a few errors. Stags didn't really make any errors, but he was basically invisible. Uh, and for me, I know he got injured late, but he still played, you know, three quarters of a game. And all the reasons why I didn't want to pick Stags were on display last night. He didn't get involved. He didn't go in and take hit-ups. He, he really didn't do much of anything while he was there. And you see that when he's in a Brisbane Broncos jersey often. Phenomenal player. When he's on or he gets opportunities, he can be electric. But unfortunately, at origin level, you know, he's more average games got found out last night where he just didn't make any impact. So, like, for me, he, he was one perso. Uh, but what did you make out of that? Because I think he was the only back, aside from the halves, that, you know, would actually be under a bit of pressure from from that performance. I actually thought he got hooked <laughs> until, they, until he came with his shoulder, the, um, the shoulder injury, and that's why Crichton went on. But, yeah, he was pretty well non-existent, wasn't he? Didn't get himself into the game. He's never that type of player that will get into those tough runs. Which is why you look at the rest of the New South Wales backline. They all took the tough runs. They all had the tough carries. They all made the moves. He just wasn't in the game. Queensland's defence was too good to get any short early ball to him to bring him into the game and attack. So he was just a bit of a passenger, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And you just can't have that in origin, especially when there's that many good centres that are waiting to have a go. Um, and Crichton's obviously one of them. You know, you could put Crichton straight in there. If Latrell's healthy, you put him straight in there. Uh, but even someone like Campbell Graham. Um, oh, I thought someone... Camp Graham was, should have been first cab off the ramp. <laughs> I was a bit I surprised he got, he got snubbed because he was in, the, in and around the team for the last couple of years mm. in the extended squads. And he's been in red hot form. And he can play left and right. So when um, when both Trevojevic and Mitchell went down, I thought, well, Graham would be in there straight away. 
So I was very surprised when Freddie went elsewhere. But mm, I was as well. Um, in the forward pack, there was a few that I think underperformed a bit. We've, we spoke about Junior Barlow. Uh, I I think that his jersey probably should be um, almost up for grabs after that performance with some of the other options. But we'll talk about some of the other options in a minute. The other two were... I actually thought Sims played really well in the first 10 to 15 minutes um, and then dropped off. Um, Martin, I sort of, I'm always a bit 50-50 on Martin. I like him as a player. I'm not sure whether he definitely should be there or not. Um, and I just, I don't think that he really did enough. Um, so, you know, Martin, Sims and, and Barlow, for different reasons, I, I thought were probably our lower performers in our in our forward pack. Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, Martin got through 50 tackles, but like he, he... You wouldn't notice him was on the field. Like it would be any worse if we had Angus Crichton there instead of Martin. Wouldn't be any worse. I, I dare say it would be better. Um, exactly. That's like you know. So Sims as well. Like I understand he had a, he had an outstanding series last year. His club form this year has been pretty ordinary. And I don't know. He sort of he did start the game well, but I don't know. He sort of disappeared a bit. It's yeah, it was a bit. His rotation was a bit weird for me too. He's, so I know Paolo and, he, and RCG getting bugger all minutes, and I don't know whether I was upset with whatever Yo getting fifty-seven minutes. So just yeah, I don't know. It was a bit strange. So I mean, are we both in agreement that, that Queensland um, probably wouldn't be looking at any changes aside from maybe Nano because uh, he's going to be out long term? But aside from that, we're in agreement that. Most of the Queensland side, they should they should just stick solid, and we won't won't really bother talking about yeah. anyone. Oh, I think think Coach will be out too with that centers Moses, so which will probably just be Oates coming straight in. Yeah, no, I mean the Duckles might be Talagi. I thought I think he's been pretty outstanding as well. Talagi's been outstanding too. Yeah, so maybe he might slot in. But yeah, either way, it's only due for injury. That they wouldn't change anything there. They were good Queensland. So New South Wales, obviously, um, you know, you get and look, I, I have to I have to say as well, one of the disappointing things in Origin. Uh, and I mentioned this last week, you know, Queensland sticks, Queensland has this thing where they, they to almost their own detriment, they stick too solid. And New South Wales have this thing where they're the opposite end of the spectrum and they call for blood immediately. And unfortunately, we've seen that from Blues fans today um, in some circles. Uh, we all get angry when we lose, um, but changing the whole team or not backing your side or your coach probably isn't the best thing after only one game. It's still a series left and it was only a six-point loss. So... It was very close. Uh, it's You wouldn't know that listening to some fan forums today, though. And there's a lot of calls for people to be replaced, per so. Um, now, I, I'm i going to hit the nail on the head right now. You know, people have been saying, including the great Mark Guy on Triple M and the Triple M team, which I was very disappointed in, that Jake Trevojevic is the answer. Uh, I, I do not see, you know, Queensland scored three tries out the back. <laughs> Their back scored those tries along with an edge forward not breaking, or well, along with you know Junior Barlow and Tarek, Tarek Sims, you know stuffing up on that scrum play. But aside from that, they were scored out the back. You know we weren't getting ripped up the middle for line breaks and tries. So I fail to see how Jake Trevojevic makes any difference. And the only difference he can make is making fifty tackles, which Liam Martin did on a, on an edge anyway. You know, so I, exactly. I don't see at all how Jake Trevojevic coming in fixes or helps anything. Uh, Jake Javoy's been a good player for a long time, but he's sort of one of those players where in the last couple of seasons of the game sort of moved past him a little bit. Mm. So I think it's just, it's like when Josh Jackson was one of their first picked in New South Wales and then he's not anymore. He's still good at club level and stuff, but you're not bringing Jake Javoy back in. It's not going to solve anything. You don't really need to make too many changes at all. I think if Luttrell's fit, then he comes in for stags. That's a no-brainer. 
that's that little bit of strike that you might have missed. As part from that, it was that tight of a game. You, there's not a lot you'd change, really. Maybe you might make a change with maybe one of the uh, forwards that wasn't involved enough. But it, who are you bringing in that's going to make a difference is the question that we missed in that game. And I think Latrell's probably the only one at the moment because Turbo's injured, obviously. So if, if Latrell get a game or two under his belt, you're supposed to be back this week, but he's got COVID, so he'll be back in the next game. If he comes back and he's fit, you you bring him straight in for Stags. Yeah, look, I would 100% replace Stags. Um, and if Latrell's not there, I think Stephen Crichton needs to start. And then you have Nicholas Hines as a four team. Um, that, that would probably be my play on Stags. I ever wouldn't mind seeing Coruscant as a 14 or other. Um, yeah. Two hookers run through the middle. With that spoon, that, that that was what we lacked. We didn't play direct enough in that game, and you could have you could easily have Cook and Coruscant on the field at the same time in an Origin game playing direct up the middle. So that'd be something that I wouldn't mind seeing. But mm, I quite like that option. What about for Junior Junior Parlo though? Like, uh, yeah, I wouldn't. What was his point of being in the side? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a tough one. But when I'm when I am having a look at other front rowers, um, you know, a, a lot of people are throwing up um, you know, a couple of other names. But one of the ones for me that isn't really getting thrown up. Yeah, you know, I, I thought that David Clemmer would have been in his element last night, and he's been in good form for a month. You know, he's he's someone that could come. Clemmer's up. been on fire this year. He, uh, he's really back to his best. He's been dominant. And when you look at Clemens' stats over the last couple of years, he's, I don't know, he's forgotten men for some reason. His stats are amazing. He, like, it, it just, he racks up the same run leaders. Like, he's over 180 every week. That's just, he lives and breathes that type of football. That's what I mean. Like, what's Polo's role? Like, when Polo's at Parramatta, he's obviously a bit more of a link man. He's got good skills and stuff. Fitler plays in the 30 minutes. He's not that dominant sort of barnstorming front row. You sort of need that. I think that's what they are missing is, is that they need that bookend that's just going to do the work. Yeah, and like, and, and again, people bring up Jake Trevojevic, who's done that before, but his work is defensively. We can't have a hit up every 12 minutes and no metres. We need someone that's going to get metres and hit guys. He runs for about six runs a game. Yeah, guys. so it, he's not the answer, but I think that Clemmer is. I'll tell you the changes that I would make to my New South Wales team. And then you let me know what yours are for your perfect one for game two. I'd have Stags out and I'd start Crichton and I'd put um, Hines at 14, though I do like your idea for, for Appy possibly as well. Junior Barlow would be out, although I do like giving him a chance to redeem himself. I always had the worry that his club form was poor this year compared to what he's done in the last two years and whether that would carry over or if he'd step up. And I don't think he did. So Clemmer, I would bring in as a bit of a dark horse. Uh, and then one of Sims or Martin um, is going to go and I'd probably say Sims. And I'd bring Angus in for him. And those would be the only changes that I would make. I don't think there needs to be wholesale ones, but you know, three changes for me personally. Yeah, pretty much agree, mate. I I will be a bit controversial saying that I think Paul has a bit overrated. Mm. Good he's a good player, but uh, a club a bit. I, I I just don't see what he brings to Origin. I definitely have Clemmer in there. I, I said to the, the boys when I was uh, doing their sorts pre origin, I, I would have liked Clemmer to be in there because he's he seems injury-free this year. He just seems to have that mongrel back. He's been playing really well. And that's exactly what they missed. I let RCG did his job, keep him. I'd rather have Murray start if Martin's in there, he's on the bench. Crichton, yeah, I'd bring Crichton in too. And Sims, like I know Sims did a job last year, but he, his form this year has been 
fairly ordinary club level. You didn't bring anything to the table last night. So Crichton's never going to let you down. Yeah, and I'll reiterate what you said. I don't think we need to bring in wholesale changes or anything before. Um, And I mean, everyone gets gets upset um, as New South Wales fans and, you know, but it's people forget as well that Fittler's won three out of the last four series. And this is only one game and people were up in arms when, when Turbo was thrown in the centres. You know, remember we had Turbo and White and, and Latrell thrown in the centre for yeah. fullback and 5'8". No, we, and we barely lost that game. There's, there's, you don't need to make wholesale changes. It's just what can we do that could be slightly better than what we did last yeah. time. No, exactly. Look, we could try out the same side and end up winning game two. Uh, it's it's a long series. Let's it's, it's wait for the postmortems on Origin and on, and on Fitler and, and everything else until afterwards. We can all get upset and, and obviously put our two cents in and what we would do or whatever. But I think there's a bit of a line where you also got to respect the fact that um, the boys have got a job to do and you need to support them if you're a New South Wales fan. And, and the same thing for Queensland. And, you know, Credit to Queensland, they do a really good job of that as a fan base. Um, again, almost to their detriment, where they don't, they never see anything to change. But you know, Queensland get get on and support their guys, um, even with losses. And we probably need to do that a bit more with New South Wales at times. But you know that's what happens when you're under the pump for ten years, per se, maybe, and we're all a little bit edgy in New South Wales. So it's it's fair enough. Look, everyone can have their opinion on it. A couple other things outside of the game. Um, Rab's retired. And that was, you know, fantastic. I just want to mention, you know, what a great career he had. Rugby League Hall of Fame as a broadcaster is pretty big. Um, like he had 50, 50 odd years in radio and, and television calling sports, not just rugby league, but races, swimming, everything. So he was probably, I think, 1990 or something like that. He ended up coming on to Channel 9 uh, and he's been a, a staple ever since. And I will say um, the next thing I was going to quickly mention is the coverage from 9 as, a, as our next topic. And I think that they did miss him. You know, Rabs isn't in his best form these days, but I do think the coverage last night was poorer for not having Rabs, and he had a fantastic career. Ah, oh, Rabs is a legend. <laughs> yeah, we're the same. The similar age. You kept growing up. Uh, it was just Rabs' calls was just as good as the games, wasn't it? It was just outstanding. Every every good moment you you remember from footy, it's Rabs' calls and. Well, like I said with the swimming as well. I used to love his calls in the swimming too. I always love obviously swimming in the Olympics and the world titles and that sort of stuff. And Rabs did a great job at that. And yeah, Channel Nine's commentary was still has gone as well. So there's no still no Rabs. So that, that's a massive hole. Mm, look, and that's the next topic to quickly touch on. Um, I, I tweeted out earlier today that uh, I don't love ripping broadcasters on media, but I have to be honest and say I really did not enjoy watching rugby league on channel nine last night. Uh, the ads and look, free to air is going to have ads, you know, it's, it's a free to air network. It's going to have them, but just how they did the ads. I thought there was too many. They went for too long. They missed kickoffs and things, you know, it just, it was done really poorly and with no real respect to the coverage for the fan. And I, I really, I didn't enjoy watching it. It was just an add-a-thon and it just, it really disjointed the, the viewing of the game. Um, that was one thing. The commentary team as well is really lacking at the moment for me. I did not enjoy it. Uh, and I'm saying that on top of Perso, you know, one, one of the things in my tweet was tweeting out um, the sports industry, a really good guy to follow on um, on Twitter. He's got all the numbers for all the different games or whatever. And Channel 9's coverage of Origin was down 9% this year compared yeah. to last year. And it was actually a pretty bad ratings of 2.4 million for a game one. So, I mean, to me... It, I didn't like nine. Um, we might be getting towards a point where the NRL is going to have to make some decisions on being able to give origin coverage to 
uh, someone to give others a go and stuff because I, I really didn't think that they handled it well, just even from a production point of view. But for a viewer, you know, I'm, I'm pretty down on it, I've got to say. How did you sort of see it? Oh, I've had a massive problem with Nine's coverage for years, and especially as a Fox subscriber, I've always had a problem with why can't every single game every week they show every, it's only the only time you've got to suffer Nine's substandard coverage is Origin and the Grand Final. Uh, as a paid, <laughs> a paid subscriber with a bit of coverage at my disposal, I should be have the right to, to watch it on both. But yeah, I, I, I've had a problem with Channel 9 for a long time. And now yeah, Raps is gone, Sterlow's gone. And it's just, yeah, it's really, uh, it's sort of, yeah, it's substandard, that's for sure. Even just like, uh, I was chatting with mates last night, and this is a running joke for me that, um, you know, 9's HD quality for the, for the picture. Is the is your nineteen eighty six standard definition from your brick thirty four centimeter? Yeah, like it's, it's just garbage. it's amazing. But I don't I, look. I don't. Um, it's it's one thing with rugby league that I don't think we've quite got a grasp of where the NRL doesn't quite understand, especially for its marquee games like Origin and stuff. It's it's something that brings in new fans, and it, it's it's something that goes global as well. It has to be of the utmost standard. So the NRL needs to get away from the point of just selling rights and just saying, all right, that's your game. They should have a vested interest yeah, in how it's, actually, it. how it's 100%. actually produced, who's in there, who's doing what and what, because other sports are, because other sports care incredibly about their image, especially if they're trying to grow the game. And the NRL says that they do, but they do from a player point of view, but they should from a broadcaster point of view too, because there's some responsibility there. And they should be working together a bit more. So I, I don't want to go on about Nine's coverage too much. It was still a, a very, very good game of footy. But if Channel Nine had any nouse about them, they'd be targeting Andy Roman and throwing the checkbook at him. Yeah, look, there's a few people that they probably should. I, I, look, with Nine's recruitment, I'm, I'm pretty. Because yeah, so I, I, I just no disrespect to Matt Thompson, but he's not the next grabs. No, he, he's not. And like. I don't mind Bracey sometimes, but it's just, even just the recruitment of the players, like I just, the guys like Cameron Smith are fantastic footy IQs, guys like Jonathan Thurston as well. But I mean, even just with the conflict of interest, right? Like people go on, even I go on about, look, Flano's commentating a game and his son's playing in it. These guys are on the Queensland coaching staff yeah. commentating an origin game. Yeah. Like, how, how can yeah, that work? That's... It's different if you're decades removed. Like Fatty's decades, decades removed from the generations playing in the Oregon jersey now. But these guys aren't. So just all the recruitment, I, I think that they're too busy going for um, popular personalities as opposed to who can actually work in coverage. And that's that's probably a bit of a worry on it as well. Yeah, I'm not really sure what their angle is, but it's not really working. But it's um, Andy Roman had a bit of a fallout with um, Fox too. A few years back, and he's doing his own podcast stuff now. But he's a fantastic caller. If he he could take over from Rabs and do a job, I reckon they'd be mad not to um, try and entice him into that. But yeah, the backup commentators. That's yeah. It just it doesn't have the vibe it used to have in the nineties, does it? When you had Rabs and Fatty as silly as he was, still over with his knowledge. No, the vibe's definitely off. It's not very different. But let's move along. Other big news this week, um, and before we get there, I need to mention the fantastic sponsor of the NRL All-Stars Podcasting, Top Sport. You can go to topsport.com.au or download the very easy-to-use app. If you like having a pun or a gamble, 
check them out because they're 100% Australian-owned bookmaker and they often have best odds in market, not just on sport but also on racing. Their odds for the NBA final series at the moment are dynamite. Got Boston $1.75 today to win at home, which is crazy. And even in the NRL, if you like your super coach, you can go for the player performance markets too because it's not the super coach stats that they use, but they use some pretty similar ones based on the NRL stats where they've got some fantasy point scoring markets they put up and you can bet on the over or under on point scoring. But if you're going to go to topsport.com.au and create an account today, make sure you use the promo code from this podcast. And that is SC All Stars, all one word, SC All Stars. Then they'll know that you're one of our listeners. It's creating a brand new account and they'll take great care of you. Topsport.com.au, go get on them today. The other big news in rugby league this week, aside from Origin Perth, so Warriors and Tigers both changed coaches. So I don't remember a day where where two coaches were both punted in the NRL the same day before 5pm. <laughs> That's the first time I think it's ever happened. But look, it's, both seem pretty warranted. I mean, you're a Tigers fan, so you're going to have a lot of views on that. Um, but, you know, Tigers and Warriors both aren't going well. It seemed like it was untenable for both. So it wasn't like we didn't really see those ones coming. Tell me how you're feeling about it. Uh, what an atabulist. I mean, it's um, the results driven business, isn't it? So it's, we've been going backwards. I just don't know if there's a better replacement out there to sort out the shit fight that the Tigers are in. But uh, it was always coming. The, the Shane's had his little propaganda spoil about where we need a. Um, a development coach to listen to that, but that was just a polite way of saying results aren't good. You're out the door. Basically, <laughs> so the results haven't been there. So he's gone. Who replaces and what are they going to do? Who knows? Yeah, I, I had to laugh a little bit, um, like watching NRL 360 talk about it. And it was almost like they were filthy just because, you know, they couldn't get him sacked when they wanted him to be sacked. <laughs> so yeah. it, was, it was pretty bad. Like I have to say, like I thought, Sections of the media were pretty bad about it. Like, even some of the questions that Tim Sheens was asked in interviews, um, I was happy that he arced up a couple of times at a couple of different journalists because he should have, um, because it was pretty poor. Like, they were like, well, why couldn't you have sacked him at the start of the year? And all look, it's, 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 they're well within their rights to see how, how the season panned out. Like, why sack a coach in round three? It just it didn't make any sense. And it was silly um, commentary from some of the media as well. And also talking about, um, a few other things within the Tigers as well. I, I just thought it was, it was quite funny. Like they're, they're well entitled to it. And, and Shane made the point as well that, um, which is interesting because it's something that I didn't know, you know, um, I think it was Paul Kent brought up, or he had a, an, in, an internal review last year and nobody knows what happened with it and nothing's changed. And, and Shane's yarked up and said, well, actually, uh, we, we actually sacked two executives and, um, and the assistant coaches went and, you know, and you know, Kent sort of got his bean his bonnet afterwards and said, Well, it's not like they sacked Madge. They just, you know, they are they going to give those other guys their jobs back? And it's like, well, no, like it's fair enough that they wanted to see if Madge could swing things around and they made other changes and they didn't have to go and do a media release to say these are all the changes that happened at the West Tigers today, or this is what our internal <laughs> our internal report said, because it's not up to them. Oh, they gave it an ample opportunity this season. It was one point there when we beat South and Parramatta two weeks in a row and started playing a bit of better brand of footy that might have turned around a bit, but better than day, it's results-based. Yeah, and look, look, it makes sense for him to go. And I think one of the things that, um, you know, the NRL 360 guys and, and wide water sports did get right was they did make the point that they don't think Madge is a bad coach. And I, I don't either. Like, I don't know whether he'll get another job, but 
I just think that he just wasn't going to work at the Tigers anymore. And it's one thing that's probably missing from, from a lot of fans and even a lot of media commentary or even a lot of the people that know the game and the professionals that sometimes like a coach can be a good coach, but just go really poorly at one organisation. Uh, it's a lot more in-depth than what people think. It matches the type of guy that could inherit a roster and take them to another level. A good like he, He's obviously not the guy that can come in and take a shit roster and develop it into something else that's not. You know, like he's he's got a good football brain. There's no doubting that, and he's not a bad coach by any means. But the fit with him and the Tigers just hasn't worked. We've gone backwards every year. There's a number of reasons you can get into with that. There's, there's too many players that the Tigers are just happy being NRL players. They they got no drive to be anything else. They're happy to be an NRL player. They don't care if they fucking play semi-finals or make rep forty or anything. They're just happy getting four five hundred. Grand a year to play NRL and all the, the tickets that go along with being an NRL player when you cut around town and all the rest of it. It's 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 a lot more complex. Than they probably think. like I'm quite critical of Pascal as well. Like I, I sort of think that he should, should if hmm. he shouldn't have been on his way out. If Pascal's he should have been on his plan. way out before match, he should be on his way out with him now at least. And he has every tenure. He's been there since. Shane's got punted the last time. So every coach they brought in, every player decision, he signed off on the whole lot of it. Mm. He needs a lot more accountability than he's getting. And it's funny too, because um, when all this started was when Shane's got punted originally in, I think, 2012. So going on a decade. And Shane's was punted originally and they haven't achieved anything since. And they've actually brought the guy back that punted, that got punted to fix the joint 10 years ago to fix the joint now. So they thought he didn't have the answers before and they've gotten him in 10 years later to tell them what the answers are to get them out of the trouble they've been in since they got rid of him. It's 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 sort of a little bit ironic, um, but yeah, I think they should have gotten rid of some executives as well, including at the very, very top. But um, Madge, I would love to see go into an assistant role. It might, it might not be what he wants, but I, I think he would be phenomenal. Like if he was an assistant at the Roosters to Robbo or something, like that, I think it'd be fantastic and I think he'd suit that really well. But coaches per se, who do you want? Because apparently they're throwing a five-year deal out to Cameron Geraldo today to try and entice him. And that's probably what they need to do, right? They need to say, mate, here's a five-year deal. Here's a heap of money. You've got to come to us. Yeah, it's a hard one. Uh, Geraldo seems like he's the next cab off the ranks, similar to Fitzy. He's um, gone to, from the Roosters to um, the Sharks. But oh, I don't know. It, it, there's a lot of... Um, I don't think Geraldo will take it, will he? Surely, if I was Toronto, I wouldn't. I don't think that you. I don't think that he would normally. <laughs> but if it's five years, five and years and a lot of coin. That's um. And I know he's hungry to take over a coaching role, but is he going to have everything at his disposal that he wants? Like he's coming out of some good systems. He's going into one of the worst systems with one of the most divided boards in the NRL. Well, one of the he's on a hard one of the positives nothing, really. for him that I will say in the Tigers' defence, and, and something that another thing that Tim Sheens did arc up at NRL three hundred and sixty about in that interview was uh, they had a go at him for for you know why haven't you re-signed Hastings? Why are you you know potentially letting these players go? Why aren't you? and Sheens he said as a matter of fact, look, I'm not going to do anything with players until we have a coach in place because that coach has to be able to own it and run it, and they need to make those decisions. Yeah, it shows you a spot on with that. So, I mean, it seems like Serraldo will have 
uh, the run of things as far as that goes. But whether he takes it or not, who knows? I can't really see other ones that will work. Flanagan might be interesting, although I don't think he fits everywhere. He might be interesting at the Tigers, but for the Warriors, um, I was I have to I have to say like, and this is the important thing. I think that you've got to be as a footy fan really dynamic and malleable. What I mean is you need to be able to get new information and change your opinions pretty quickly on what you initially thought. Now, when I heard Nathan Brown was sacked, I thought, yeah, that that probably was about right. Um, but then I heard that Nathan Brown turned around and said, oh, I'm not going to commit long-term oh, to New Zealand. And I sort of thought, well, that's that's a bit poor form, Brownie. But then I read into it a bit. And you know what? I need to like go back and almost apologize to Brownie because I sort of um, obviously saw probably the same interviews as you, but he sort of said, look... Oh, yeah, did that self-assessment of himself was absolutely bad. Yeah, on. and he was a re- he's a really honest guy. And I've always liked that about Brownie. And I don't think he's a great coach, but, you know, that's that's fine. It doesn't mean that... He doesn't think he's a great coach either. But yeah, well, <laughs> but like his reasons for not going to New Zealand, like initially I was, I was quite angry about it because I thought that was pretty underhanded. Um, but then he said, look, I was ready to go. And... My two daughters said, Dad, we're not going to move this time. And I've moved them to England. I've moved them everywhere else. And, you know, I just, and I had to go without my family or say, you know what, enough's enough. And, you know, to his credit, he said, look, that's it for me for coaching. Like, I've just ended my coaching career because I'm not going to upend my family anymore. You know, and he'll get a role as an assistant and that sort of stuff. He'd be great in that. But yeah, you've got to respect that, though. Like, I don't think he left the the Warriors shorthanded or anything. I I think, you know, and look, I think that, um, they, they ended up pretty respectful of each other that, you know, he, he gave them the option for him to coach him out and he was ready to go to New Zealand for the rest of the year and then come back home. Uh, and they, they fairly decided, no, we may as well move on now, which is probably the case and best for both parties. So I, I respect Nathan Brown reading more into it than what I initially heard all those reports on him. But for the Warriors per se, you reckon you've got no idea about the Tigers. I've got absolutely no idea who you could put in that no. Warriors job. It's not yeah, Stacey no. Jones long-term. I, I don't know who it is. Well, Stacey Jones has already said he doesn't want it long-term. He said he's happy to, to sit in for this year, but he doesn't want the full-time coaching role. Uh, I've got no idea. With the, the Warriors have always been a bit of a basket case when it comes to like, that sort of, yeah, who knows, and the situation they're in. Yeah, the, the one thing I liked about Brady, he was right with his self-assessment of himself. Uh, it's exactly what he did at the Knights. He inherited an absolute shit show at the Knights. Created a pretty decent roster. Got to the point where they're on a cusp of being a competitive side, but knew he wasn't the coach to take him to the next level, so he stood aside. And that's sort of what he said about himself. He said, I can leave a club in a better position than it was when I started there, but I can't take it to the next level. That sort of self-assessment is unbelievable. So kudos to Brownie, but yeah. Back to the, I don't know, what do you do? But sort of the Warriors getting a complete clean out and getting a, a, a whole, I don't know, like a Bellamy type over there just to reform the whole club. Who knows? Well, this is an issue, right? Like, it's no good putting any coach in there if you're not going to fix everything else around the place. And unfortunately, like, there's a few things in that Warriors club that have been lingering pretty much for the duration since they've been there. Um, and, like, I mean, I, I yeah. make the joke all the time that, that RTS and Takiyaho came over when they were 15 because they were told they weren't good enough for the Warriors. <laughs> you know, it's like they've got they've got a whole country to choose from. Green and Rugby Union's a big um, competitor for them. But, you know, they, they obviously don't do enough with their juniors. Wayne Bennett started to help them with that or was it Phil Gould? Or... Their junior development must be substandard because how many of them do come over here you know, to the NRL clubs that get them across and put them in scholarships and put them in high school at 15? 
Well, there's countless numbers of guys. Yeah, and they and there's that. I mean, with their roster, but there's also their recruitment as well, right? Where it's always said to, it's really hard for them to get people to go over to New Zealand. But I mean, you've you've got to figure out ways to be able to do that if you're going to be a viable NRL club. Um, you can't just be built on New Zealand talent. And if you're going to build yourself on New Zealand talent, but then not have good development of that talent or pick the right ones, then you're just on a hiding to nothing. And I really can't see any short-term fix for the club. Um, I think it's a long-term thing. And I, I don't know if any coach is going to make a difference. But I tell you what, um, the Walker brothers have been thrown up as an option. And at least they play a warrior style of football from 10 years ago that people might actually enjoy watching a bit more and the players might buy into a bit more. Walker Brothers is actually a good fit for the Warriors. But that lip style, different type of uh, play. It's hard with the Warriors because it's their recruit, recruitment and retention is their biggest problem. There's no easy fix with it. And I mean, I know that they've been stuck out here for years without, um, with COVID and everything else. But a lot of people have signed in between and decided mm. they don't want to go back to New Zealand, coach included. It's, it's, it's hard to see what happens. Yeah, they've almost got to. Um, not just look at um, bring players over, but before they do that, they almost need to bring some executive and head office over. And I'm not sure whether the owners actually can swallow enough pride to to maybe get around that. Because if they could get some really well established, well known, well experienced, um, you know, recruitment director, um, a general manager, even um, all over from you know an incredibly successful Sydney club. Like I mean, it, it won't happen. But imagine if you took some of the Storms executive over to New Zealand. You know that. Well, not out of the realms, Barnsley. Like, when were they their most successful? They had Ivan Cleary as coach. He got guys over there like Ryan Offen and uh, Kevin yep. Campion and all these sort of hard-nosed middle forwards. Simon Mannering, you know, he's a Kiwi, but he was a Rooster junior and they took him back over there. And I think they just need to look at, at that sort of style of what, they, what sort of club they want to be. Yeah, and they need to look at those type of package deals of, you know, what, you know who can we get an executive level to come across? Um, and then you can also, you know, another one that's sort of far out to finish out on is, you know, someone like Shane Flanagan you'd think wouldn't move. And he, he loves it in New South Wales. He loves it in the Shire. He, you know, he, I don't think that he'll move too far. But, you know, if Shane Flanagan doesn't have a job and his son Kyle Flanagan doesn't have a job and his only prospect ends up being England and the Warriors say, so, well, you and your son can both come over together. Um, something like that might be interesting. I do think they need to think out of the box a little bit, you know, and New Zealand at the end of the day isn't that far away from Australia, but it's going to be interesting nonetheless, Per. So I don't think we've got enough candidates to talk about at the moment. The Walker brothers would be interesting, but I think that we both agree that the Tigers and the Warriors have a lot more to do in their head coach search than just grab their head coach. They've got to do a lot more in the rest of the organisation to support and help that head coach be successful next time around because I don't think either club really can afford any more years of rebuilding or, or lacklustre and, and getting rid of anyone again. No, nah, not at all. That's what I think well, the hang on the match for as long as it did because you're starting again now. That whole roster is either being re-signed or attracted to the club under match and then the punted match. So oh, we've got Papa Lee and Coruscant coming next year, which is encouraging, but it's, it goes deeper than just... Yeah, your head coaches, the whole system. I know that center of excellence is almost built, so whether that makes any change, but this these battling clubs seem to be 10 years behind the eight ball. Yeah, that's why I think it's important that they start looking at poaching. Um, you know, they want to pay big dollars and overs for players. They want to pay big dollars and overs for coaches. 
maybe they should start paying big dollars and overs for some executives too, because there's no cap on that either. So maybe some of the uh, junior pathways is the biggest thing, you know, especially with a club like the Tigers. They got that many juniors. Like for them not to be a powerhouse is just oh. they need to take a leaf out of the Panthers. Oh, it's a great example. Yeah. They in five years, if they do the right thing, they should start to thrive like the Panthers do in the junior development. But look. We'll finish up the podcast on that note. Um, I'm sure the Tigers and the Warriors will come back into the news in the coming weeks when we see some more uh, solid coaching information or candidates coming through, which inadvertently will happen. But Perso, thanks for jumping on. Thanks for assessing Origin with me, even though we're both Blues supporters and we both lost and had to give Queensland plenty of credit. It was good to chat about Origin and and everything else in rugby league with you today. It's been a big week in rugby league this week, isn't it? But uh, always enjoyable. It has been a big week. There's things that we didn't even get to talk about that are going to be thrown on next week's agenda. I'm, I'm sorry we don't, didn't get into the legend rewind this week, but I promise you it will be a Queensland legend next week that we're going to run the comb over their career and, and chat and reminisce about. But this week it was too much origin to talk about. If you want to listen to the podcast, make sure that you jump on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Amazon or Audible. You can follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. And make sure if you jump on topsport.com.au, gamble responsibly, but throw a pun on and create an account with SC All Stars as your promo code. Got the Super Coach episode on Tuesday night, hitting on Wednesday for your ears to listen to. And then at the end of next week, we've got another talking footy episode after another round of regular footy. Until then, enjoy the footy this weekend. Enjoy your Super Coach if you're playing it. Can't wait to chat to you about it again real soon. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get...